Listen and stream the only talk radio, Freedom 106.5, for the only talk that matter. And welcome back, Freedom 106.5 FM. We welcome you to Agribusiness Innovation right here on Freedom 106.5 FM. As we join with Jody White for another riveting discussion all about agri-innovation here in Trinidad and Tobago. And of course, we thank the good-working folks there at Massey Machinery making the program possible for another edition this week. So be sure to visit them. They can assist you with all your warehousing space needs to improve your productivity and your business operations too. You could give them a call, Massey Machinery Limited, 665 5550 visit their showroom at the corner of Belgia Road and Uriah Butler Highway in Chugunas. Good morning, Jody. How are you today? Good morning, Trinidad and Tobago. Welcome to another episode of Agribusiness Innovation. And in today's episode, we have the ever energetic and driven Miss Melissa Pascal. Melissa, thank you very much for being here with us. Absolutely. How is everything, Jody? Everything is good. So, Melissa is an individual that not only is she an entrepreneur, including an agri-entrepreneur, she actually helps other entrepreneurs as well develop, build, grow, scale, and make make successful their own organization. So Melissa will be giving us some information on what she does and some tips and tricks that we can actually use as well in our own businesses. Absolutely. Um, You know, Tell us about yourself a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I grew up in a pressure cooker, I would say, you know, that's the reason why that's that explains why I business and entrepreneurship is in my blood. You know, when you when you grow up in a family in a family business, it's it's just it is intense. And when when you are at least for me, and when you are living it, you may not enjoy it. But then after after the fact you may say, Yeah, it actually is now benefiting, you know, it's now beneficial. Um, so yeah, grew up in a second generation of family business. My father started Pascal's Bakery, I would say about 38 years ago. And I've always been involved in business in some form or fashion, not not Pascal's Bakery, I would say all the way through. Um, you know, um, studied economics at, um, at, at uni in, in Canada. And I was a hustler ever since, you know, I would say I started when I really started to get my feet really wet, you know, when I just took my first 100 Canadian and turned it into over 40K in less than a year and a half, just buying and selling, you know, from knockoffs, A++ knockoffs, eh? from, um, from, from, <laughs> let's distinguish that, <laughs> from, um, from, from China and, you know, reselling it to the population there, the male population specifically, and then, you know, just multiplied from there as to what, what I got into, then I got into sterling silver, and then from there, I really, this is where I lost everything, where I took the 40K and decided I want to come back and start uh, a cafe. It was it was called Chibata. In the heart of Port of Spain, Queen Street, I thought I could have, um, I misread everything, went to Port of Spain to open this, this Chibata cafe. And within, I would say, a year, I lost everything. Totally bust, um, you know, by learning incredible amounts. Um, so yeah, I guess I will stop there for now. In terms, actually, well, what I do right now, I'm, I'm in Pascal's Bakery as you see, you're managing, managing the ups, the highs, the lows, and every single thing in between. And um, just completed a transition from a B to C business to entirely B to B business. So that's the thing. I, I don't want the listeners to think Pascal's Bakery is just 
Pascal's Bakery where you go to buy hops on an afternoon. Pascal's Bakery is a whole lot more than that right now. So, I mean, let the people know what they're, what they're involved in because I think we eat in your products and we do even know we eat in it. Yeah, so why, why we are doing that is because we focus on private labeling. So what that means ultimately, so in order for us to transition from this retail bakery, you know, the current show and the hops and all these things, it wasn't working out. Um, we were losing incredible amount of money um, and we had to transition fast to so basically go out of business. And um, the transition was ultimately forming and securing business relationships. So one of the first um, couple of businesses that I secure relationship with was, you know, Price Mart and Linda's actually. Um, and these guys um, are one of our largest customers at the moment, again, but entirely private labeling. Um, so you will find our bread in franchise, very popular franchise, Starbucks, um, Domino's, TGI, um, to name a few, and in Price Mart as well, products, a lot of other products we do for seasonal items that, again, is privately un, private labeled under members select. So that model worked for us because, again, we are really, and the business is formed on relationships. I can't say that enough. Um, and identifying what their needs are and how we can literally collaborate and not versus competitive nature. And that's what basically has saved us entirely. Now, in the agro-processing side a little bit more, you started doing these rice cakes mm. that are very popular and sometimes it's the only one that you can get in Trinidad. You can't get any others. What? Why did you choose that? Good question. Well, I'm a fitness. I like to say I'm a fitness enthusiast. You know, I love exercising as in my blood as well. Um, a former, you know, national hockey player and all that jazz. But I was in the gym one day and I'm hearing these women. I cannot get Quaker rice cakes. This was over six years ago. And I'm like, I was on a trade show and I saw that process. I know how to get that done. And literally, I was like, I'm going to get it done in that split moment because I knew exactly how to get it done. And I, I remember telling my trainer that and she laughed at me, you know, she's like, Melissa, how are you going to, I was like, you don't worry. I'm going to have samples for you just now. Literally that day, that month, I think I literally bought the machine and this was before I went back to Pascal's bakery. So I took some time off, um, just traveling and doing a lot of business pitching and going to a lot of technology conferences. So I really didn't have a place at the moment. Um, uh, you know, I was just, and I had my last, my last set of money. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, is either I spend it all out or what I'm going to do. And that's what I found I was going to do. I took the last bit of money and it was near Christmas time and I invested in a machine, a rice cake machine. And it was one of the best decisions I've made because I listened to complaints so that's the first thing. Everywhere I go, I'm always listening to a complaint and identifying in my archives of, of experiences or, or or reading or whatever it is, something archived there. Can I, am I, do I have the cap capability? Do I have a network to actually solve this problem? Like literally. And then I did some numbers on it. Um, you know, I, I did some CSO data. I used that, which is very old and archaic. But then I go into the groceries, uh, observe, observe, observe. Um, and then it's like, okay, that's how I started ultimately. I started off, you know, that's it right there. Yeah. You said you listen to complaints. So, you know, that's one of the hard things for being an entrepreneur. You like it. You're so close to it. It's hard to distance yourself. You know, suppose it's early on in a product's life cycle. You've launched something and Govin comes up to you and Govin says, hey, 
I don't like this because it's breaking and falling apart. How does it make your field start off with? Ah, oh God, it's not the truth. I remember going in with my simple little plastic bag with a crappy sticker and pong in the pavement with that product. And literally, that is what you're willing to face. You cringe, your summer kind of turns, and you say, okay, that's your feedback. Let me see what I can do for it. And then you also learn. You learn not what to say. You learn, you learn how to reposition yourself. You learn how to reframe, despite how bloody challenging it is, because it is... Oh my God, it's so tough. You have to have some serious thick skin to take some serious lashes in order to continue and to get anywhere reasonably successful. Do you ever say, you know, that person don't know what they're talking about? It depends. <laughs> there are some people who love to just be a highlighter, you see? So the first couple words, they, they, they could say a thousand words and you know what? You, you could pick out about five relevant things. But at least you're getting something from it. Other than that, you have to have a damn good filtration system. And understand that most people just want to be important all the time. And most people want to bash somebody else because guess what? They're not doing it. And you figure it out though. You figure it out fast. Do you think that people are more critical of local innovations versus imported innovations? Like you're eating something that's local. They feel like they have to tell you something wrong. You ever feel like that? Yeah, of course. I mean, that is what we do, you see, because we are such, we are born and bred on imported products. So we figure that's the standard, right? But we don't have a clue of what it means and what it takes to issue that. You know, do we have the, the, the supporting network and infrastructure to ensure that we can be and deliver a product that is that is that critically beautiful? Do we have the packaging? Do we have, does it, then do we have the designers? Do we... Do we have the material? Do we have the machinery? All these things, all these, all these, all these the value chain to ensure product is literally that standard. And it takes time. So five years ago, you may not. But three years now, into it was 10 years into it, yes, you may. So again, it's to really be honest with, with, be honest with people so that they themselves are aware of, of the limitations. Because we have many, right? I mean, we're an island, a small island, at, at, honestly. Yeah. So you got into the rice cakes and then you went back into the bakery. And I know you and I often speak, you're, you're, you're always doing R&D. I, I want to know what's the process of you thinking of something new, getting an idea. What, what is the process like? What does it start with? It starts with, so I, I gave you one example where we started with me hearing something. Um, but that has limitations, right? Because again, you still don't know because it's very limited. So the last, how we have been working the last two years, I would say, because of really the relationships that we're developing, we go into our clients, very large clients, and we say, okay, guys, let's have a meeting for pipeline, future product pipeline. What the first question I ask is what's your important? Loads of things. What is your top five imports, bread imports, or flour derivative imports? Right, they have the data at their fingertips. And then we identify that. We could say, okay, this is what we can and cannot do. If out of those fives, we can focus on two. Um, and then from those two, then the sampling and then the product development starts. And then of course, you then you have to, as because I've reached out to you so many times, you have to have the raw materials to literally ensure that you can even produce your product. Um, so that's how that's how we are now do our our R and D. We don't waste our time anymore. I shouldn't say waste. We just found a 
a, a shorter way, less friction to develop the products. It's all about what our com- our, what our customers want because it's all based on import substitution. And then coming out of that, how would you determine if something is worthwhile investing in and pursuing? For example, if we run a product right now, we are now doing a product. We're doing, uh, and it's a matter of, okay, we see the numbers. Company A wants it badly. They import. They don't import it necessarily. They, through a distributor, they use incredible amounts of this product and this product is now costing x amount of dollars now we need to decide okay first of all can we competitively produce this given the lack of machinery because we can't invest in the machine until we can we have the numbers to prove it and it all it, it really comes down to oh it's such a fine thin rope you're walking on it comes down to one with your production, can we, what does it mean for us to become the most efficient we have given our, our current capacity? Two, how do we maximize the orders um, with, the, with, the, with, with the customer to ensure we hit quality, even though we don't have the, 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 the ideal machines to give it to them. So it's such a, it's such a, a, course, a horse before the carriage and the carriage before the horse scenario. You know what I mean? Um, because again, quality could mean you stock any POs right so it really is having constant communication with your customers to ensure that and then if they say okay melissa we could see that you guys have the potential the last three po's have been good you guys delivered on time hitting every other you know metric um you know what we're going to continue with it and we, we we could guarantee a couple more large po's then we would say okay you know what i may go with the smallest modular investment for this potential new line i mean that's how literally we are we are approaching it it may cost you under 10k us um ten thousand dollars to get into the game um in a in a sizable way but at least from that you know you could now get about 10 to 15 percent of that import of, of that import market which can now lead to adding new customers you ain't good on the line like that okay so right now we're going to go to a commercial break when we come yeah. back i want to run through the process of if somebody has an idea and mm. getting that idea and evaluating that idea so when we get back from this break we're going to get into that a little bit Talk, talk, talk. Is streaming at freedom106.5.com And welcome back, Freedom 106.5 FM Agribusiness Innovation right here on Freedom. And this is powered in part by Massey Machinery Limited. Visit them and their showroom conveniently located at the corner of Bilger Road and Uriah Butler Highway in Chagones or you can give them a call. 665-5555 So we continue our discussions with Jody and uh, Melissa. Yes, so Melissa is not just an entrepreneur. Melissa is pretty much a qualified business coach and tied with her experience, I think we could do a little exercise in trying to figure out how do you get from idea to product because a lot of our listeners I know have Product. So, Melissa, I want to pitch something to you. Suppose Govin and I got together and say, listen, you know, we want to launch a sour sup lollipop. That's just an idea. I have a lollipop tree in my backyard and Govin say, you know what? I, I accustom eating lollipops, but, you know, I want something healthier. Govin, what do you think? Sounds like a pretty good idea. But <laughs> so, I need to know so how to start. we have an idea that yeah. we like, but... How we know if this thing going to make money? Like, what should be our next step? It's just an idea. 
We never made it before. Mm-hmm. What should be the very next step that we do? Well, you see, what I always do is Google. First thing, I have an idea. I'm like, boom, how do I convert this fruit into some kind of puree to actually make it not obviously commercial? You obviously just need something I actually like, right? Um, first, first, first thing. You're gonna, that's going to take a while because, I, I, again, everything on Google, on the internet, seems so simple. It's like, yes, it's only five steps, guys, and voila, you yes. have something amazing. They lie because it is not so. It's going to take you so much longer that I guarantee at least 70% of people right there and then going to drop drop out because they want you to know why to get the consistency that they want for this lollipop is going to take them maybe way harder than they ever thought about. So let's talk about the next 30 who actually pass through a simple prototype, let's say, right? Let's say that they persevere enough. And now they say, but this thing nice. You know, all, all my friends like it. Okay, so they pass the friends test now, right? So 30% going through the going going through the process, chugging along. Then they then they're like, but I want to make more money from this thing. This thing has potential. Everybody telling them that, huh? Okay. Now you're like, how am I going to sell it? So now, hmm. even before you even reach there, it's so much fine-tuning of a recipe and formulation because now you want shelf life on the thing. Oh my gosh. That's a whole different scenario because you're now dealing with food and sugar and all those things. So I'm not a formulation expert, but I can tell you one thing about food manufacturing is shelf life. And that in itself is one of the toughest things to do. So I don't, I'm not even going to go there, but at some point in time, even if you're selling this thing at a pop-up shop, you want it to last at least two weeks. How are you going to do that? I'm still not sure, right? If it's frozen, well, we know how. If it's an actual lollipop, how are we even going to market you thing? Your name, your branding. Um, are you going to find somebody to, that loves healthy, vegan, whatever your 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 I don't know what you call that um, affinities are? And then you're gonna have to you know try to get somebody to help you push it. Um, but right there, I think I'm stuck there. You know, I reach there. Where reach where 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 reaching this thing, Jody? I reach the part where you get a pop up shop. You know, you're making small batches. Um, it's a hobby, um, but we don't have many. Uh, you know, uh, revenue streams is a hobby, and you could you could probably make a couple thousand dollars a month from it. Now, do you want to go past the hobby? That's the question. You want additional revenue stream, or you want to actually convert this thing into uh, something more? Or you you are muted. Step, stepping back a little bit, you said that the first thing we should actually do is go on the internet and just do some research around it. See if it exists, see if the if the product exists, if the process exists, maybe if the equipment exists. You see to start there. So Govan and I did that. We went on the internet and we see something similar. Not exact. The next step you think we should do is maybe try to find a way to make a prototype and present to some people around us and have them give the feedback on it initially. That's what that, that's the first part you say. Correct. And of course, you wouldn't give anybody something before you have test, tasted and tested it. And half the times, when you make something the first 20 times, it's going to be pretty terrible. Right? <laughs> pretty, pretty terrible. And one thing I'd caution listeners is that when you give it to your, to your mother to taste, 
you have two types of mothers mothers who will be critical and tell you they could make it better and, and you should make it better and then mothers who will always support you and say don't worry it's in real people are like it so you have to be careful when they're giving it to, to, to family especially mothers they, they could kind of stay strong but they'll support you exactly exactly that that is very true so start with yourself and i guess you know you made a good point there maybe start with your mother but also someone that you know a critical aunt you, you know what this aunt going to going to be hard all the time you know and find and, and and go to extremes because again if you most most things start up as a hobby yeah most things start up as a hobby and then from there you build enough traction um but yes definitely that's what i say so far i'm going to interject and say one thing yeah uh-huh. early on in your production in your plans or in your dreams find someone who is experienced and talk to them business coaches mentors find somebody who has gone through it because sometimes you may you may talk to somebody who's experienced and they say listen there my fee is 1500 bucks and I'll work with you for a period of 4 weeks or whatever and it sounds like a lot of money to put out before you have a plan but you know what sometimes you try it on your own and inexperience and you'll end up losing $20,000 because you should have actually worked with somebody from early on so i, I want to make the listeners know don't be afraid of working with a coach or somebody who's experienced because somebody like i'm just saying melissa somebody like her who has lost money on her own knows how to not lose money and can help you not lose money so sometimes it's the investment of getting help is worth it you're right i've lost plenty money you know and but you think about it and that's the reason why now and that's why i have invested in so much coaching you're so correct like that is critical if you really want to scale and you really want to make something sustainable you have to invest in it invest in the know-how invest in the ip invest in the network invest in the in just being in a mastermind that understands because let me tell you those ideas and, and those back and forth and that refinement process is critical to your success and the success of anything that you're really committed to and it comes back down to how committed are you is this fun and games for you is this a hobby is this a lifestyle business or are you here to create a legacy and you know that that's the first thing kind of question that goes through the beginning like where you at where, where where's your mindset at and i think that where however the person answers is then after how committed any coach or any person can be you know and then yeah. from the age and you know i've worked with many people over the years and sometimes they discuss with someone and they said you know i i just bought a piece of machinery and it could do i uh, you know 100 pounds an hour and from the time you walk into the facility and you look at it you could actually know whether this thing could do the 100 or whether they only going to get 5 pounds an hour out of it that that's important of, of having mentors work with you because they could really i mean if you purchase a piece of machinery and it's not suitable enough it's just like wasting all the money it has no use in the facility so be very very cautious of that that again i can't stress that enough to work with somebody who has the experience the next thing is well, tell me I'm jumping real quick because you see that thing about buying machinery and your right type of machinery can literally make or break you because depending on which which cycle of your business you are in because we at at Pascos have literally we have done it twice where we have bought at different periods machinery that was was ill equipped and the cost of it is is a white elephant is still there watching you right and you know you're like 
we just made ill-informed decisions, not doing the research, not doing your homework, wanting to be cheap. But then in the long run, it costs in your real big time. So I can't emphasize it enough. It is so true. It's so true. I'll tell you a story. Yeah? We, there's, an, there's a large organization, very, very large in the Caribbean, that funded a, a root crop plant in one of the islands. An entire plant from peelers, grinders, everything. And the wrong people were hired for the job, people who are inexperienced. And that plant currently sits idle because it can't be used. When I went and I looked at it last year, there were cockroaches running through this thing. And I was supposed to be the only one on the island here, on their island in the Caribbean. So choosing the right type of equipment is imperative. And you're going to make mistakes and you're going to have to get experience. But it is it is very much imperative. Melissa, having worked with so many people over the last few years, how do you think people make decisions when they have to buy equipment for processing? Is it that they trust suppliers or is it that what do you see in your practice? I think it's a combination of things. One, a combination of, okay, again, you all, we all start off researching, right, online, the cheapest form of research. Then from there, it's like, especially if it's this machine is over a certain price cap, whatever that is, and it's going to be critical for the, the cornerstone of your business or a really important part of your business, you need to go and see this machine. You can't go and take anybody's word for it because, again, with that, because, again, you may think you may understand this machine, and by the end of the day, you truly don't. And that is what one of the, because we have made at different periods in time under different management, we have made that mistake of not going to see and made assumptions. And as a result of those assumptions, problems, because the smallest of things, even down to belts, the number of belts something has, the size belt specialized from that insignificant, seemingly insignificant, can destroy your entire operation. And you're smiling because I know it's true, right? <laughs> I, have, I, have a, I have a broken belt in a drawer right now. Exactly. <laughs> and you can imagine if you have a machine that uses 20 belts, why are you buying that for? But again, you didn't ask the right questions, you didn't do the homework, nothing was done, and then you have a white elephant. So it's critically important. Go to the trade shows, invest, and then after I would say, even after the trade shows, go and find in that in that where that machine is actually being used in a in a in a in a in a, in a commercial setting. You want to see it could be able to handle licks, handle pressure, ask ask the actual users of the machine. How does thing work on a worst day? You know, all the kind of questions. So yeah. Okay. Thank you. So we are at this point in, in, in the product development. We're going to get our commercial break. When we get back, I want to talk to you about making plans and actually writing plans and if you think that we should. So we're going to get our commercial break now and we'll be back shortly. Talk, talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. Welcome back to Agribusiness Innovation. We thank good folks there at Massey Machinery Limited making the program possible today. Be sure to visit them at the corner of Belgian Road and Uriah Butler Highway Shigonas to visit their showroom. Or you could give them a call 6-655-555. So we continue along with our discussions with Jody and Melissa on the agribusiness innovation today. Yeah, so you know what? Govin and I have this product now. The Sour Sup Lollipop. We managed to make a prototype. Should we be doing written business plans at this point? Do you is there a need to do these written plans? Because I hate to do plans, to be honest with you. Me too. You know, plans are really great 
for certain stages. Example, you know, Pascas just we just came out of a scale up of scale up program. I mean, uh, that big up, big, big up that program right now is fantastic for us. And that plan is literally our growth plan for the next five years. And it's not. It's critical for us at our stage right now because, again, of the, of the of the resources that we need to manage, people, everything else. So in that stage, yes. For going on yourself at this moment, you know, scribble some jot, jot down some things. Writing is important. I think that's important. I think a good start may be a business journal. I'm all about journaling. You know, aims, top five things for the next six months, boom. Um, you know, maybe some different flavors, boom. Who you um who you wanna who you wanna um sell to me next six months? Boom, done, documented, and of course put some figures to put some dates to it. That could be your plan because of where you want to go. As your business idea develops, as you're really ready to get more and more committed, of course your plans are going to have to. I wouldn't say have to, but again, the more you get involved in grants, the more you go after funding and capital. It's going that process is going to force you to do all those plans that you may think is not possible because people need security and people need reference points. Melissa, you know, I like talking to you and I'm going to tell you why. When I have sat through over the last few years so many entrepreneurship development programs and a lot of them are lectured by people who have never entered businesses, we are so many people in a class who will tell you, okay, you have an idea, let's prepare a business plan, sit down and do a SWOT analysis, sit down and do this, sit down and do that and it's hours and days and weeks of work and I don't think businesses are ready for it and that's the difference between learning from someone who's experienced in it and learning from someone who has never actually walked the walk. So it's the first time I've gotten that answer from a, from a business coach and I appreciate that because I think it's the most practical thing. Know when it's, when it's right for you to actually enter that, that stage because you're going to be wasting so much resources preparing a plan that's likely not going to be applicable in the next two weeks after you've done some more work on it. It's going to change so much. Exactly. Not worth it. I would say get your business journal, document who you're becoming on that journey more than anything else. Because in the early stages, it's really who you're becoming. And that thought process is more important than your actual plan per se. You know, at least that's what I think anyway. You know, next thing I want to bring up, a lot of agri-ventures are done by partnerships. Govan and I together, we went to school, we were in a class together, we decided to come up with this thing. What's your thought on a business partnership between two people? I know they go sour a lot. Like, have you ever done a partnership? What's your advice? You know, I am all for collaboration. I love it. I think it is amazing, right? However, that is now you getting in bed, you're taking off all the clothes and now you're saying, marry me, right? So you're seeing all the ugliness. So that that's why, it, that is the reason why it's so bloody difficult. Because most of the time, people are nonsense, right? So how do you peel back the layers of nonsense to actually see the truth? And that's the reason why we as a society, we don't have a system, a formula, to discover, to peel back the layers because we don't share data. We don't share numbers publicly. Whereas anywhere in the world you go that is, you know, you can see someone dirty laundry more readily than you can with someone. That's why we always do things with friends. But even that is problematic, right? So, huh, I think 
that that is what makes a great team you know being highly collaborative but again it's to find that sweet spot to say how can i navigate that marriage um well and not end up in a divorce and that is a tricky thing the best people who have the best emerging acquisitions team still fail doing it so who are we you know <laughs> who knows yes, you know, I, I could see govin saying jody we say we're going to make this lollipop twice a week on a friday and every friday you want to go to the gym and leave me here alone making this thing you see what i mean angst one time communication 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 if you don't communicate before this thing and all of a sudden you get so excited to make this lollipop and you don't communicate you don't identify how this person communicates because some people communicate differently you know um a simple thing as that can turn that relationship sour so fast and all of a sudden you think mash up in less than six months because we didn't take the time to understand what the person bringing to the table how they're communicating what are they ex- what they're expecting what you're expecting versus what your partner expecting is two different things you may want to not do a single thing but 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 want the money what are your desires what are your goals what what is your vision what are your values all these soft skills that people don't do that i think not important is the most important thing before you get into a relationship so then would you say that we would have said we may hold back on too much of our detailed business plan up front but would you say that earlier on it's good to do a if it's a partnership do a written plan between each other to see how money is shared up how money is paid up who invests all these things is that important then early on i think it's important that's critically important and what i think needs to be added to that too are these soft skills we just might be just identified what are your goals what are your what are your strengths as doing us instead of sorting the business how about sweating, sweating the person? Uh, you know, how about ensuring that we that we communicate regularly, both formally and informally? Um, you know, values because again, you can have real different values that could literally bust that business before you start. That's I would say to add that on as well to also in in relation to money because that other aspect can literally cause something to mash up as well. Years ago, I had a I had a business I was getting into, and this is when I was still employed. Uh, at, a, at another company and um i remember discussing it with the person and when we got to a certain point he said well i'll stay in this job and i will continue to work and you could leave your job and get into the business and and that was a that was a, a, a weird sign because i mean we were friends and we were good friends but then i'm thinking no you're gonna have your stable income and it's gonna be kind of rocky for me so that that is one of the things i think is 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 important to look at all right, so Govin and I, Govin, you're here with us still? Yes, yes, thinking a, a lot about all of these decisions and communication, I think definitely is a big part of it, as Melissa rightfully said. So Go- Govin and I, Govin, so okay, so you and I get together, we find mm-hmm. this sauce of lollipop, it's tasting good, we, we have an agreement between each other, we know what we're going to do. What is our next step from there? Would you say that we should go big or go home? Like, or should we try to do it on a small scale and, and try to sell to a couple of groceries and see what would happen? How would you approach something like this? Oh, you're asking me? Oh, sure. Oh, go in. <laughs> you, you, Melissa. <laughs> oh, I want to know. Somehow I get real tired there. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. because our market is so, I would use it with immature, right? Our industry, our, our how we do business, you know? For example, 
you can imagine somebody now has a, a successful company where they are they're in every convenience store let's just say they need they, they, they need down trade but they don't really want to go to any supermarkets you know do we have anyone with some sort of future with, with some to say you know what this is this, this looking good to me you know can i acquire this company do we do you think in our culture being Caribbean, that we have an acquisition mentality or is it that we like to do every single thing on our own but then after we don't have an exit plan exit strategy so half all the work that that, that we put in down the line may not even materialize that's what i'm seeing so many family business ending up like that i know i'm straying a little bit from the from the answering it indirectly because now you're we, we're speaking about growth but as you grow there's also an exit right so it's a matter of and again how do you exit do you exit because now you are you have succession in mind do you exit based on you have somebody lining up to be a potential buyer um is the is the is the buyer market even mature enough to even handle to say even consider you or would they say you know what i'm gonna do my own thing and do the exact same thing and i don't want any work that you have done because it's so it, it's so many factors to consider you know because you have had so many businesses invest a lifetime 30 40 years and after no buyer but yet successful but no one willing to purchase it so we have our last commercial break coming up now when we get back we'll open up the phone lines if anyone has any questions about opening up an agribusiness that they'd, they'd like to ask so we'll be back after a few short words is streaming at freedom106.5.com. So, Judy, we're back. And, of course, reminding our listeners if they've got any questions about our topics and discussions today that they can join in 627-3223-625-2257 and your messages on WhatsApp 306-1065. So, Melissa, one of the questions I want to ask is what is the importance for people who want to enter agribusiness of looking for local supplies because I know you are constantly looking for local suppliers. Like, is there a benefit to that? Absolutely. One time cost. Um, three, the type of communication that you have with a local supplier. Um, those three are critical, um, ex- especially when you need to R and D fast. When you need your supplies much faster, because again, the lead times. On importing anything right now is incredibly long um and very shaky um so those i would say are my are my top three things um definitely for finding a local supplier and you'll be surprised there are so many people that are getting into very unique things example i need to find a spice a spice essential spiced um oil for a new product that we are testing out and there was a local supplier. Yes, it was imported in. Gen- I mean, from from at a source, but it was available locally. I guess we really need to stop us making assumptions and really and truly do the digging because a lot of these guys have a have an online presence. It's a matter of asking, like literally putting in the right search, and you would be surprised. So I'm t- I would tell anybody, do the homework first, um, locally, and then after, go abroad. You know, another thing that, that comes up a lot of times is that we talk to smaller entrepreneurs after having their business for two, three, four years. Uh, we realize that they don't factor in their cost and their time when they're trying to price something. You realize that they have never really paid themselves from the business. Uh, as an entrepreneur yourself, 
how would you approach that situation? Like helping people to, to cost out their time to pay themselves from the business? Should it be formal? Critical. So that's a brilliant question because it's like literally I had somebody, a young young startup, right? So costing. I have a, I have a, a template that I use specifically for these for for, for myself. I sh- I literally my team built and I shared with them to literally get get your for agri, for agri business specifically. So fill it in is like big aha moments. You know, like oh my god, this is the cost. And I said most importantly, you don't have labor in that. So now are you working for free? You have to now come back to the drawing board now because your wood is now shattered, right? The cost of manufacturing can be yay high, but you have not, as you rightly said, ever factored that you are also a critical resource. I said, if you take yourself out of the business, how is your product going to be manufactured? You're gonna, aren't you going to have to pay someone? So again, it's to really understand that. And I, I get it that you may not be able to pay yourself for a while and for a time. I've been there and I've, I've done this meant for many many times like literally not receive a salary because your employees get paid first that's just the name of that's how it rules and that's how it goes and you have to be very comfortable and okay with that and be able to eat bread literally right i that's that that, that that's the name of the game but the same time you know that you are factoring yourself in and that it you are aware of it and that eventually you're going to get it back it is going to happen over time but you if you're unaware of that and you're figuring that life hunky-dory and you're just spending you're going to bust and you won't even know why all of a sudden you wake up one morning and be like shit out of business oh sure yeah i'm out of business and i don't even understand why why because we don't know our business intimately meaning from a numbers perspective it's a mindset you cannot know your 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 business from a commodity perspective alone you have to know every single what does that one potato mean in dollars and cents when i put that into into the machine what does it now mean what is the cost associated with that? How is that broken up? And I have now have some have to have somebody throw that potato in. What does that now mean? Every single thing must be seen from that perspective. And if you're not seeing it from that perspective, I guarantee you, you will be out of business and you will not know why because you will know what's happening. So, Govan and I, we have the product, we've created it, we have the agreements, and how do we know whether an idea is not worth taking further. How do we know when to throw in the towel and say, listen, we're never going to make money with this. Let's let's forget about it. Are there any signs that we can look out for? Absolutely. Oh gosh, you know, I'm really not that busy. Uh, uh, there's five days in a working week. And I only work in two. One. Number one. Number two, every single time I make my busy days, I'm only earning X amount of dollars and I still have problems buying my raw materials. Three, you're not buying your raw materials from a bulk supplier or any sort of of thing. You're still buying it from Massey. Big no-no. That's problematic, right? Therefore, you are basically a housewife feeding your family, not even recognizing that you are that and not even recognizing the high costs associated with that, right? Um, Four, um what else again um you you four 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 i think i stuck on three <laughs> you know go govin if we have this idea 
I think that one of the things that we may want to look out for that it, it's not going to get anywhere is just the fact that if you have a lot of people that are consistently telling you, no, you go to the supermarket, you're getting no all the times, you go to the trade shows, you're really not getting any sales. And there is a limit to what you can actually achieve further or change. And if you're honestly getting fed up of something that, it, you know, you feel like you can make more money somewhere else doing something else. I, I will tell to people that not all ideas are good. Sometimes it's best to know that what's the most important thing for you in this business. Is it that it's just a hobby and you like it? Or do you intend to make this to feed your family? And if you can't after a few years and need to understand, well, it's probably time you kind of move on to, to, to something else. Absolutely. And I mean, there are going to be a lot, lot of telling signs, huh? There'll be a time when you can't afford to pay your cash flow is stripped, you know, you're, you're strapped. You can't afford to pay your employees. You can't afford to pay yourself. It's only so long you can endure because you are an employee of your business, right? That you can endure for so long. If after six, seven, eight months consistently, let's say if it lasts so long of not getting paid or a fraction of it, you're going to feel it. Your family can't survive on that. No one can survive on that. So it really is. And, and then after... If you have that sort of cash flow issues, therefore you're obviously not going to be supported by any financial institution. Let's just face it, right? Even large organizations facing that, so far less, you know, or meeting all, all the criteria for it. So the the the, the signs are the, those signs are easy. It's a matter of do you want to fix it? Can you fix it? Do you have enough wiggling room? Because a lot of the times. When we start of at that at that tender age at that nascent stage, you don't have a lot of wiggling room. You you can go bust in less than two months. You know that fraction of time. So, Govan, after hearing all this, you think it's a viable idea for us to look at a sour sop lollipop? Well, we 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 spoke about it theoretically. I think we would have to physically get down <laughs> to it and, and go through all of the, the the parts that Melissa would have told us. Um, and I think she's a pretty she, great expert. Lots of information there to to weigh into the discussion. So I'm sure that our listeners could take those things and put them into action, and hopefully get the ball going on their individual projects. So you know, Melissa. Oh, go ahead. I, had a, I, I will tell you this. I woke up one morning and was th- gummy bears, gummy bears, gummy bears. Why I was thinking about gummy bears, no idea, right? But then I decided to go and do, uh, I wanted to do a, a, a high, low sugar, high vitamin um, protein oriented gummy bears. Don't ask me why. When I finished the research on this thing, it took me about, I would say I devoted about an hour on a Saturday morning, right? I was like, there is no way in hell I can do a low sugar gummy bear because the reason why gummy bears are the the the, the um the texture, the pull on it, the mouthfeel is because of high sugar. Am I now going to try to find out how to do a low sugar one when the high sugar one is so difficult to get the texture without the proper machinery? And again, certain things you will just know the hoops are hard to jump through. It's not as easy as you think. So the same way you thought about your your lollipop, I, I'm always thinking about random things like that. And after about two hours, I'll be like, okay, scratch, next. <laughs> <laughs> Ideas are always good. Melissa, I want to thank you so much for being here with us. It was very enlightening. And I think you gave us a lot of real world experience that you have. I want to know your closing comments and 
give people if they need to get in contact with you or find out more about the businesses that they're involved in. Yeah. So um Pascalsbakery.com. Pascal with an S, P-A-S-C-A-L-S bakery.com. Um, Melissa Marie Pascal. Well, you know, once once you throw throw that in on, you know, any search engine, uh, you can find me LinkedIn, IG, Facebook, website. And then everything is basically linked from there. Um, yeah. In terms of closing comments, I would say entrepreneurship is a lifestyle. You have to be able to take serious, serious licks and knocks and have your why has to be so large. And even when you think that why is large enough, at least for me, sometimes I get hit so hard that you have to scrape yourself off the ground and then sort of reinforce that why even more because it's not about money. It's about the value that you're adding to society and the more valuable that you are, the money will obviously come because value follows money. Money follows value, but it can't be the other way around. Um, you know, so anyone that really wants to get in this game, ask yourself, how can I truly be valuable to society and do it in a loving way, do it in a kind way, because I think that's where we get the joy out of life, you know? Thank you so much for being here with us, Melissa. We wish you all the best. And I hope at some point in time, very soon in the future, we can have you back on. This has been Agri Innovation on Freedom 106.5 FM. We'll be here next week with another episode. Thank you so much, Jody and Melissa. That wraps up Agribusiness Innovation today. Very informative discussion, very enlightening as well. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of Agribusiness Innovation. Thanks again to uh, Melissa Marie Pascal, the CEO and Managing Director of Pascal's Bakery. Talk, talk, talk. Is streaming at freedom106.5.com.